motivation Jonas Andrew Phillips helps me avoid desperation There's two facts to rebuild a nation To make us strong And hearts are born full of brothers and sisters Tell the future we can build whatever we wish to Put your mind on the map Eyes on the prize Don't forget to like, comment, share and subscribe Hello kings and queens and welcome to the 13th episode of the Let's Talk Facts podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed last week's interview and today, guess what? I'm telling you right now, we're being consistent. We're coming back weekly and we're not going to do only 10 episodes this time. We're going to keep going on and on and on. And I promise you that we're bringing the best entrepreneurs. I promise you that we're bringing the best professionals. And this is the second week in a row that we've done it. So please, would you like to introduce yourself and the amazing stuff that you do? Yeah, so thanks, Jonas. Um, I'm Neil Onions. I run a social enterprise called Beyond the Box Consultants. So we work with young people and communities across London, engaging them in creative placemaking projects. Um, and it's all centered around co-design and co-production. So we work with communities, not just for Oh, amazing amazing Neil my first question to you is that what was it that made you want to create beyond the box consultants good question <laughs> um what made so I spent almost 20 years working in the community sector or working for local authorities or charities and I spent my 20s moving around jobs quite a bit and working with um Adults with learning difficulties, working in Caribbean prisons, doing outreach programs, running youth organisations. And it was brilliant learning, but I felt there was like a gap where actually people kept designing programmes for people rather than designing them with people. So I wanted to set up Beyond the Box to, to do just that, to say, okay, let's bring people around the table and let's design something together. Um, so it's much more participatory-led. So that's what it was all, all about. Yeah, and that's the thing, because I think a lot of people struggle to actually work together with people because a lot of the time it's a thing where people think they need to be competitors with each other. And that's why I respect what you do at Beyond the Box because you're teaching people, especially young people, that you don't have to be against people all the time. Actually being interdependent can take you farther than be, further than being independent. So... Was there any situation, and this is just like, I didn't put this down in the questions, but was there anything specifically for you that made you understand how important it was to be interdependent as a human being? Just from a life experience that mm. you can't, and I've tried, <laughs> you can't do things by yourself. So I think there's a mindset when you're in education, you know, to, to be the best and everything's competitive and sports aren't really collaborative. It's all just always competitive, competitive, competitive. Who's got the best grades? Who's got... And that kind of mentality, I think, continues in the work environment. Everyone is just trying to compete. So therefore, it's always about the individual. But that's not a reality of life. But you need people, um, diversity. You need diversity of thought. You need people mm -hmm. to collaborate with you. You're not one person with all the solutions. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it just hit that point where you think, well, life's not like that, so work shouldn't be like that either. Mm -hmm. And we should all be able to support one another and share ideas and all work towards an end goal, which is why I'm not in the private sector. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's about community. Exactly, exactly. And 
you grew up in the West Midlands, so you didn't. You work in London now, and your business runs in London, but you grew up in the Midlands. Side. What's the because a lot of people that only live in London seem to think that the Midlands is just farms and stuff like that. So what I want to ask you is, what's the difference between living in the Midlands compared to London? It's a good question. And the Midlands is a big place. So there's a, there's a kind of a joke like back in the middle people that live in London, they feel that anything north of the M25 is just north. But obviously the Midlands is the middle of the country. So it's not quite country, country. <laughs> um, Birmingham's like the second city. So that's, that was the closest city for me growing up was Birmingham, like 20 minutes away. And that is very similar to London. Like it's super diverse in every sense. It's a real big music scene, culture scene, art scene. Um, but where I particularly grew up is a place called Tamworth, which is in Staffordshire. So as soon as you say a shire, yeah, you think country, right? And it's small in comparison to somewhere like London, but it's got its beauty and, but there isn't really any culture. So, you know, there isn't an art or music scene or there's, there's no real venues and there, there, it doesn't have this rich kind of tapestry that London has. Um, and particularly where I grew up, it's, it's almost 100% white. There's no racial diversity at all. Um, the Arts Council have identified it as one of the lowest areas for funding for arts and culture. So there really is not much to do. Um, so as a young guy, I kind of couldn't wait to leave, which sounds, sounds bad. Um, and it's got its benefits. I've still got family back there. You know, um, there are some beautiful natural spots around there. But yeah, in comparison to London, kind of the energy of London and the I'm a big music head, so when I talk about culture a lot as well, I'm really talking about a good music scene and lots of different cultures. So, um, yeah, I think that's the, that's the biggest difference. Yeah, and touching on what you said about the there not being as many opportunities and stuff like that in the Midlands compared to London, do you feel that people from the Midlands, due to there not being a lot of opportunities when they get to places like London, they feel like they have a chip on their shoulder and they use that to motivate them to then outperform the people that are actually from London that may take it for granted? Good question. Um, I don't think so. I don't think it's a matter of having like a chip on your shoulder. Um, I think there's a drive to to want to engage in what's going on. And I suppose maybe sometimes that comes across as, what are these non-Londoners doing coming to London and trying to like engage in everything that's been created here? Um, but then I think that that is kind of London as well, right? Like at some point, I'm always at someone's new. I know people are born in London, obviously. Like people move around a lot, even within the city. And people don't tend to do that as much back in the Midlands. Whereas I know people who were born in South, but now live in East London, or like grew up in North and live in West. And because it's so connected, transport link-wise. Um, yeah, I just, I just think the opportunities are better down here. So I don't think it's about having a chip on your shoulder. Um, but I do think it's important that, and that's what I'm trying to do with Beyond the Box, you, you give local communities the opportunity to, to be at the forefront rather than people who perhaps aren't necessarily from that community, like you say, coming from the Midlands or whatever. I've been in London for 12 years now, so I, I feel like a secret Londoner on the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the thing because I remember when I was actually in year nine, I remember I was always saying, oh, I'm going to leave London when I'm older. I'm going to move to America. Because, you know, America basically dominates 
the the British TV dominates pretty much everything, the music scene. So I was like, no, I want to be in America. And because I was a huge basketball fan as well, while I still am, I was like, no, I, I, I want to go to America. That's where the place to be is. And then someone had to say to me, Jonas, do you know how many opportunities there are in London? And obviously I'm year nine, so I'm like, I don't care about that. You think I care about that? I want to go to the, the place where everything's happening. I want to go to New York City or LA. <laughs> but obviously, now that obviously I'm 19 now, it's been five years since I said stuff like that. And I believe that. I'm like, nah, there's no place like home. There is no place like home. Like London, there are so many opportunities. There's so many amazing things to do. And if I'm so happy that, and this is the thing, this is my offense on people, but I have a friend and I was on Zoom with him the other day and I was talking to him and he said, obviously he goes to uni and he goes to uni in Nottingham and he knows I'm talking about him. Now he knows I'm talking about him, but I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want people to start sending DMs like, what do you say about Nottingham? Are you crazy? And stuff like that. But he said that he looks around at like some of the children that like play are playing in the park or running around. And he said, I just feel sorry for them because they have to grow up here. That's what he said. But not in a rude way, but in a way of they're not going to have the opportunities that people in London have. Or maybe like London I'm so lucky to live in I have all the places in the UK to live in. And I live in London. I was just born in London. I'm so lucky. But so many people would take it for granted because we've been born with this. Whereas people like you who have obviously been here for 12 years, you know, okay, cool, I'm here. But this wasn't always the case. So I'm always going to be grateful for it. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think why, I mean, I'm not speaking on behalf of your friend, but there are fewer opportunities Um in the rural parts of the UK. And I think distribution of like funding and opportunities needs to happen more mm -hmm. um, because a lot of funding does seem to go toward the cities. Um, but what I do think is, is, is again, I'm, I'm talking about culture, but there's a real culture amongst London young people I've found where they're really supportive of one another. And they're really champion one another. So there's like a lot of sharing of opportunities, a lot of youth groups, a lot of networks. And I find that young people are much more supportive of, yeah, you can be an entrepreneur and yeah, you can go and launch a podcast series and you can go and do, where there's a bit of a diff, well, there was when I grew up, slightly different mentality in the town that I grew up in, which was not as supportive, more of a, well, who do you think you are? <laughs> people around here don't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I do agree with what you're saying. I think no one knows the grass is always greener, right? But that's just, just it's part of human nature that you think, oh, it's all going on over there. But, but don't get me wrong, there are some great things that still happen. And, the, and when, again, when I say the Midlands, I'm particularly talking about Tamworth, where I grew up, and my experience. Right? Yeah. And just to add on to what you said about sharing opportunities and stuff, I think we're, well, I'm lucky myself because I've got a circle where people are, they do have an abundant mentality, but I think sometimes when you get to places like the young people you probably interact with because you obviously do youth work and you're you have beyond the box and stuff they're young people that want to strive for greatness so people that are like that obviously have the abundant mentality so they share opportunities and say there's enough out there for everybody so I'm going to share it regardless if I don't get it it wasn't for me I'll find something that is for me and when you're when you don't have that abundant mentality and you're kind of just in you're just in your area but not doing much I think because I've noticed this myself because obviously I'm 19 so I've seen I've grew up with people like this but obviously when I started doing my stuff I obviously met the people that had the abundant mentality but when you're quite young 
I think in secondary school, people have scarcity mentality where they're like, I'm not going to share that with you. This is mine. I'm keeping this to myself because I want it. But I think as you grow, you then begin to understand that firstly, when you get an opportunity and it's not for you, it's sent to you for you to share it with somebody else. And if it's not for that person, then you have to share it. That's, that's the way I think of it. And I'll always look to share. Like if I see something, I don't, I don't want to say this online because people are going to say, you're just saying this online to say it online. I don't go around telling people this, but it just came up in conversation. If I see something for acting, for example, or music, I'll send it to my friends that are into that because I know they want to do it. And they can, they can actually stand up for me and say, yeah, he has done that multiple times. But I wanted to ask you, why do you think that some people have that mentality? It's called crabs in the bucket where, oh, we're here and you can't get out of this situation. If you, you can't get out of ends, so we're going to pull you back down. Why do you think so many people, not just young people, but adults have it too, have that mentality of if they see someone they grew up with doing well, they want to pull them down and not let them go? Uh, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's probably a lot of different reasons to why people do that. Um, sometimes it can be kind of historical, as in within the family. So parents sometimes, I think, can foster that environment, which is, you know, you're, you're in this family and this is where the family lives and therefore don't go thinking you can go live somewhere else because you can't because it's about family. I think that's a, that's a big part of it for some people. Um, and I also think it's, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So if you live in a certain area where there aren't any opportunities and you're not coming into contact with people who are supporting you and telling you, yeah, you can do that, or yeah, there's an opportunity over there, you're, you're only surrounding yourself with a circle of people that have the same viewpoint. So it's just perpetuated. So all of your network is just around, well, I'm not leaving, so you can't leave, and you can't leave. So you just stay in that circle of, it's like anything, isn't it? It's like if you have a view on something, and you surround yourself with people with the same view, then you think your view's right, but you need someone to come in and give you a different perspective to start thinking, oh, actually, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. So I, I think I think there's quite a few layers to why that happens, but um, that's why another reason why I started when Beyond the Box, you know, it's just constant conversations with young people around, they either can't access opportunities or they don't know about them. And I'm like, well, we can definitely try with both of those, but we can certainly share. So we do a lot of that on our social, which is share with organisations, things that are going on so young people get to hear about it. And if we know of young people, what careers they're trying to get into, we'll DM them or send a message and go, have you seen this? Check this out. Because I suppose you work to create something that you didn't have. That's where I think a lot of entrepreneurial ideas come from. It's like, well, if you didn't have that, there's definitely a need for that. So then you try and address that gap in the market, if you like. Exactly. It's all about finding a problem, seeing a problem and finding a solution rather than complaining about it, solving the issue or fulfilling the need that's needed in the market. That's what it's all about, right? For entrepreneurship. That's why so many entrepreneurs that I know say, I started this business, Jonas, because I was pissed off with this. <laughs> and now they're making so much revenue and turnover from that. But they wanted to do it for the impact. They didn't do it just to make money. But that's just come. That's just a side effect. The, the, the revenue they're making is a side effect. And I want to ask you this because this is something I'm really interested in because you are extremely passionate about Beyond the Box and the amazing stuff that you've been doing for young people for a while now. So in life, there's going to be pain. It's not going to be easy. But you can choose whether you're going you're gonna to say, oh, I, it's hard, but I enjoy it, or it's hard and I hate it. So what was the journey like for you 
creating beyond the box and leaving the nine to five life? Was it difficult, easy? How what emotions were you feeling during that time? Oh, these are good questions, Jonathan. See why you've got a podcast. <laughs> um, what was I thinking? I'll be really honest with you, right? So I didn't go down the traditional route. I didn't go to university. Um, I applied, I got in, I just didn't go, it wasn't for me. So my career was really what they call like a portfolio career. So lots of different jobs for two or three years. Um, and then I got to a point where I kind of hit a bit of a glass ceiling and places where I was trying to look to go, I started to think people aren't letting me into these places because I don't have this piece of paper. I've got 20 years experience. I've, I've got so much work experience and so much knowledge. And, you know, I paid for my own qualifications in certain jobs, but I didn't have that degree. Um, and you went through that slight imposter phase. So I was like, who do you think you are <laughs> trying to set up your own company that you must, like, you're deluded, like, literally, who do you think you are? Um, and I was actually surrounded by a team of colleagues at the last job I had before I started, who were the ones that turned to me and said, you've got this, like, you can do this. Like, we've seen how you've been working for a few years, you can definitely do it. So there was this mixture of, like, can I, can't I, I think I can, you know, so all of that was going on in my mind at the time. Um, so I felt like I had to carve my own space, if you like. Um, and that's what I did with Beyond the Box. I kind of took that leap and just thought, let's carve out my own space. And, and I'm all about collaboration and supporting other startups. So, you know, a lot of the projects we've done, we've just brought in other collaborators and shared commissions that we've got. And if someone approaches us, I'll approach somebody else and, I'm a big believer of that. There's enough for everybody. And, and if you can help other startups on the way, then yeah, do that. So I think if that answers your question, I know that's probably a slight ramble, but um, I think that's what was going through my mind at the time was, can you do this? Should you do this? And then once I did it, I was like, oh, why didn't you do this sooner? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the thing. Cause even, I don't personally, because I used to get bullied a lot and cussed a lot when I was younger, I don't have self-doubt, but because I because I didn't have a father in my life and obviously that times were, were tough and stuff like that, I had, I had to get a mentor, obviously, because I needed someone to guide me. So that makes me have, and people may think that I've never had this, but that makes me have, that's my form of imposter syndrome. My form is that you've kind of, even though I did put in so much work when I was younger, I don't like to say this, but when I was obviously left secondary school, I was putting crazy work into stuff and people that are close to me obviously have seen that growth but although yes there's tons of other young people that have had mentors and they've still not made progress it's because obviously they didn't they didn't put in the work to do that and I did but I still say to myself sometimes like you, you did get quite a lot of help Jonas you did get you did get someone who when you didn't have a laptop they let you come into their office every Saturday, which was Michael, big up to Michael. You did have Gordon, who was there when you were in year nine, telling you, okay, cool. Does that matter, Jonas? You're the, you're the student in the situation, so you can't win all your arguments with your teachers. And let's be real. People from my secondary school will know this, but people come up to me to this day and say, Jonas, when you used to argue with teachers, you shouldn't have done it, but I can't lie, you were right in the situation. Not all of the situations, obviously, because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a god or anything. I'm never going to be always right. 
But a lot of the situations you were right. But obviously, because you're the student, it's not going to go down. So obviously, I got that guidance from my men, my mentors at the time. They didn't tell me I was right at the time. But nowadays, they do, obviously, because I'm an adult and I'm grown now. It's weird to say I'm an adult, you know, it's kind of weird. But <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I had to realise that nobody is self-made. There's no such thing as a self-made millionaire. There's nobody that didn't get help from people. And I needed help because a lot of people, other young people had that help that I didn't have. They had that leg up already. So I needed to get even. And then me getting even, my mentality took me to another level. And a lot of other young people kind of do suffer from imposter syndrome and self-doubt. And hearing that you did too, I wanted to ask you because so many times when I ask my friends or fellow young people that come in my DMs and ask me questions about stuff, say that they just don't believe in themselves. And even adults I hear say, I, I want to do this, but I just don't believe in myself. What is the main key that you would say was a thing that made you be able to get over your self-doubt and imposter syndrome when starting your business? So I think everyone, and I mean everyone, has that self-doubt. So, I mean, I, I watched an Oprah Winfrey, um, I, th I think it was a documentary, but she was, she was talking and she said, it doesn't matter who she's interviewed, from presidents to all the way down to whoever, they all say to her at the end of the interview, was that okay? Was that okay? She said and she realized after years of doing it that everybody just wanted that little bit of validation that it's okay. <laughs> like what you just did was okay. And I think for me starting out, I'd, like I said, I had people around me telling me, yeah, you can do this. And it was an amalgamation of different things all coming together at the same point where I thought, what do you have to lose? And there's a beauty of coming from, I come from a working class background. No one in my family has been to university. Um, and sometimes there's a power in growing up with not having a lot because you're not fear, you don't have a fear of losing things because you didn't really grow up with anything in that sense. I mean, I had things, don't get me wrong, but in the level of what you see sometimes. So I think what drove me was, okay, if this all goes wrong, what's the worst thing that could happen? Um, and it wasn't really that scary. And I thought, well, let's just do it. Let's just step into it and let's try it. And do you know what? It's all right if I get a few, and I have, I've got quite a few things wrong along the way. Um, but you just, sometimes you have to be your own support system just to get going. Uh, so yeah, I think for me, it was it was the amalgamation of things, having people believe in me, but then me just thinking, what do you really have to lose? You look at where you are at the point that you want to start. And the worst case scenario, you'll be back there in two years, five years, if it goes around 10 years, 15 years. Well, you're all right now, so <laughs> it can't be that yeah, bad. Exactly. And that's the thing, because there's a stat, obviously, 95% of startups fail within the first five years. And you, you have the choice to either allow that to motivate you or demotivate you, the ball's in your court. So the people like yourself, people, other entrepreneurs that I know, like Lewis, Michael, people, let's talk about the famous people now, Elon Musk, Je Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs. They said, I'm gonna let that motivate me. And even Bill Gates had multiple business failures before Microsoft. People forget that he had multiple business failures, but he was like, I'm gonna come back. Okay, I fell down, I'm gonna pick myself back up again and I'm gonna go for it. And now look at him. He's doing so well with Microsoft and stuff like that. He's even got his own charity with his wife. So that's the thing. And 
I think the validation thing, everyone does do that because even I do that. And I'll tell you, I do that because there were so many times where people would be like, oh, you're a bad kid, Jonas, you're this, you're that. So to this day, it's in me where I have to still go out there and say, is that okay? Or how am I doing? Like sometimes I ask for feedback, even though I know I did well, just to hear that I did well. That's the thing for me. And I'm not afraid of saying that on this podcast or anything because it's just a fact. And a lot of people do know that's a, a tendency that I have. And it's kind of good because then it's, I, I'm still, even if I'm, I didn't do the best, I'm getting that feedback. So it's a bit of both, but sometimes it is me saying, I need this validation just to ensure that I can go to sleep tonight and feel that I gave it my all, even though I did. So I think that's something that everybody does. And people need to understand that. Sometimes you've, everyone's heard this, be, just be confident, just be confident. You can't just be confident. You can't <laughs> yeah. be confident, that makes no sense. Confidence, this is what Lewis, my, 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 someone I know Lewis says, he says confidence, no, actually he got it from his co-founder, Keshav actually. Confidence is an output, not an input. It's an output. You're confident at the things you do regularly. So you're not gonna be confident at public speaking. It's the, it's the number one fear in the world. Like, people fear death more than public speaking. And then spiders is obviously third. You're not going to be confident at public speaking if you don't public speak. You're not going to be confident at networking if you don't network. When I first did this podcast, I wasn't confident, even though I was with one of my close friends, Jaden. I was with one of my boys and I still wasn't confident. I still wasn't confident, but I still said, I'm going to take action. And this is what Grant Cardone talks about, the four degrees of action. There's massive action where you actually take action and give 100%. That's when you become confident. There's normal action, which is basically average, and we don't want to be average, do we? We, we really don't want to be average. So then there's retreat, where you actually go, you actually go backwards. Retreat is the worst one, actually. Retreat is worse, worse because you're going backwards. You're, you're making your life worse. And then there's the fourth one is no action. So you're just not doing anything. So if you want to be confident, just like Neil did, and get over your imposter syndrome, you have to, motiv- you have to be motivated and be confident. You have to take action. That's how you get the motivation. Would you agree? Yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here nodding my head, so I forget <laughs> you might be able to see my face on Zoom. Yeah, I agree, 100%. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And another thing is that a lot of young people that do follow my content would like to be entrepreneurs. So I want to ask you, what is it like in a COVID, COVID-free world and also a COVID world for you, what is it like being an entrepreneur? What is it like? It's... You all, I've, you know, I'm in my third year, right? So I'm, I'm still in that startup phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but I already know that I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> so for, in terms of what, what it's like waking up and knowing that you're kind of in control of your own decisions is super powerful um, in the sense of I do have choice here and I think choice is an important thing. Um, and then it's what you do with that choice. Right? Mm. So for me... I don't become some crazy powerhead <laughs> person going around, you know, with this, but it's like, okay, well today I'm going to choose to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and it can be little things that we, for some reason in our society, we haven't built into our regular nine to five environment. So if I decide that I'm going to start work at 10, because I'm going to go for a run, I'm going to come back, I'm actually going to have a nice breakfast, I'm going to start my day, then that could set me up for that, having a super successful day. Whereas the nine to five mentality is, okay you've got to be at your desk it's nine o'clock and you've, you've got to get everything together and you <laughs> so for me it's um yeah it's that sense of freedom and control over your day um 
But then equally, if we're being honest and transparent, you need to be careful with that as well, because you might not know where to stop. And particularly in, in the COVID environment, right? Because you're working from your home. So leaving your desk, all you're really doing is turning around. <laughs> so, so you've really got to be conscious that the only person who's going to tell you to get up and leave your seat and go home is you. <laughs> so, you know, from a well-being point of view as well, you need to yeah, be mindful of that. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's the thing. Because even even like I'm still I'm just getting started in obviously my entrepreneurship journey. So for me, obviously, when I was doing stuff when I left school, I didn't know when to switch it off. And at first, it was good, but then it got to a point where I think end of last year, I was just like, let me just relax this Christmas. Let me just relax. I was planning to do work, but then I got ill, and I was like, no, nah, let me just let's just turn it off. Twenty twenty one, we can start it again, John. If you had a good year, let's just relax a bit. But because obviously I was a basketball player, I always had that like killer mentality and that mamba mentality of Kobe and Michael Jordan because I used to watch their videos and they always said, be the first one at the gym and last one to leave. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be the first one there and last one to leave. But then I didn't take into the account that off-season time, these guys were relaxing. Or yeah. sometimes they had off days. I, that didn't click in my mind. So I was this every day from summer 2018 to... Christmas time 2020, no stopping. Work, 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 work. And that's when I started, when I got ill, was when I started to get started to burn out. So I was like, okay, cool, I've got to relax now and just say enough is enough. And I think that's the downfall of a lot of people. They don't understand when enough's enough for the day, week, whatever. And then they just keep going on and on. And it's, it's look, success is addictive. It makes sense. Of course, if you get success, you're going to want more. And that's not, that's not bad, but everything is healthy in moderation. It's going to be unhealthy if you don't give yourself a rest. So people that say the grind don't stop, no, the grind does stop. Yeah. Maybe one day a week you stop, a few hours you stop. The grind does stop. You don't just go on and on and on. That's I agree with you so advice. much, so mm -hmm. much. That point you're making around, you know, you might look at someone like Kobe or Jordan and and you're just getting a sound bite into their life mm -hmm. and not being aware that, like you said, they have down periods. Mm -hmm. That's the thing to capture as well, like, yeah. Yeah, keep your eye on other people that are in your field and what they're doing, but don't compare yourself to them because you don't know what's going on behind what you can't see. So you just do you and, and do that entrepreneurial journey the way you want to do it. Don't get worried about the noise around you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%, Neil, 100%. And now I want to take you into the first segment, the first segment of the podcast. So this is Would You Rather. So we all know how to play Would You Rather. However, for the people that may have not heard it, I'm going to explain it. I'm going to give Neil three scenarios and he needs to choose which one he would rather do. Guys, I hope you understand that. If you don't, I'm sorry. But we're just going to get <laughs> regardless. So, Neil, the first one I have for you is, would you rather be one hour early to everything that you go to or 10 minutes late to everything that you go to? Early. Mm -hmm. Early, yeah. I've got it now, but I can't. I don't know where it comes from, but being late just stresses me out. So definitely the early, definitely the early option. Yeah, like you got to pick early. Like you, you can sit, like you can even sit in a cafe or sit somewhere and just read a newspaper or something like that. Like you don't have to just stand there in the rain. Like you can choose somewhere to go to. So yeah. definitely, <laughs> definitely. And the next one is, would you rather never lose your, never lose your phone again or never lose your keys again? Ooh, never lose your yeah never lose your phone 
I mean, it's a sad state of affairs, but just every, your life is on your phone, right? Yeah. And at least if you get another key cut, but if your phone's gone and you don't get it back, it's gone with all your... Yeah. With all your yeah that's the thing because even when i'm like when i when i'm walking i don't think about oh if i lose my keys then da, 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 da. i think if i lose my phone i don't think about my keys that's yeah. it's crazy as well it's crazy yeah. but that's what it I'm is mad about. because the, the keys are to the roof that keeps you <laughs> keeps yeah. you drunk. but you're more obsessed over the phone but yeah so true though yeah and the final one neil is would you rather be the funniest person in the room or the most intelligent person in the room I always say if you're the most intelligent person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. So I'd rather be the funniest person. Thank you. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is a true entrepreneur mentality right here. That's, <laughs> so many people would say the most intelligent, but you, if you're, as you said, if you're the most intelligent person in the room, you're in the wrong room because I would hate to, and this is what the thing is, I hate being around in environments where I can't learn from somebody else. I hate it. I feel like I'm wasting my time. Yeah. Well, like, obviously... I'm not gonna lie. At first, I enjoy. I liked it for a while. I liked it because obviously, you need. You, I had low confidence. I needed to bulk up my confidence. But when I got confident, I was like, okay, cool. This is ridiculous now, Jonas. You need to start getting into different rooms now. Like it's, it's getting too much now. So that's the thing. You gotta be. You got. And sometimes being the funniest person, you can actually attract people too to you. You can attract. Sometimes attract the right people to you too. I would, whilst you're on that, to me, that is one of the biggest things around any kind of job or business, humour. Like everyone can relate to humour. Mm -hmm. they, they might not get you a joke, but humour is, is, a, is a form of communication and it's brilliant for forming relationships in terms of working relationships, colleagues. So I'm, I'm a big fan of using humour and I don't think it's really spoken about enough in the work environment. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a good um, masterclass. I don't know if you've seen that masterclass series, like the, the, yeah. the main one. Yeah, it's funny. Um, the CEO of Walt Disney, like he's he uses humor all the time, and it's mm. yeah. I think it needs to be spoken about more. Yeah, I think and, it's a thing of. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry for cutting you. No, no. Go on. I was just gonna say the power of humor. Yeah, and I think the reason that it's not spoken enough about enough is because so many people are like, "Oh, get your head down and just do your work," but they don't understand that. I even in how to win friends and influence people guys if you haven't read that make sure you read that put it on your reading list guys how to win friends and influence people that was the first ever book i read and that's it says in that book i swear it says in that book it may be in rich dad poor dad i can't remember but i, I swear it's in that book it would make sense to be in that book it says people enjoy things and do best at things when they are enjoying it and having fun you're not going to have fun in a boring work environment you're not you're just not you can do a work like 30 minute split, hour split, 90 minute split, 20 minute break. I'm sure your manager will let you, or even if you are the manager or you, you are the CEO, you can just say, okay, I'm going to have 20 minutes, 10 minutes off. Go to go to the common room or staff room, whatever. Have a laugh with some people, have a conversation, make sure you go to lunch with people and just build it. Like in my apprenticeship, I didn't talk, because I was new to it, obviously. I didn't talk to, and I was in a school with teachers so it's awkward for a 17-year-old to be with teachers. So I just didn't, I didn't really talk to people like that in my first year. But then COVID hit in March. So I was only there for what, like September to March. Somebody, if you're viewing, listening to this, you can do the math. I'm not going to do it now. But <laughs> it wasn't a long time. So then in September, I was just like, let me, let me, let me be a bit more sociable. Every staff room, every time it was staff room staff, like, I'd always be in there joking and chatting to people, 
when new people would come, the, I was the youngest guy there by far. I would be the one that's always talking to the new person, always asking yeah. them questions. Like they know, like nobody, so many people are shy. So I'd just be like, you know what? I'm like, hi, what's your name? Okay, cool. Can I ask you, what was it that made you want to get into teaching? Just like some questions. And then sometimes I'll tell them like, if your family had a business, what, what business would it be? Or is there any unspoken rule you have in your household? Just questions like that, which will really bring people's personalities out and actually enable them to become more confident. That's yeah. the kind of stuff that and really don't, made me do work. Don't underestimate the power of what you're doing there because you, you're actually creating a working culture mm -hmm. and people, whoever they are, wherever they're working, they want to be in a really high energy, relaxed working culture. So if you're relaxing your colleagues and you're talking to them and creating that environment and humor, then that's, that's a powerful thing. That's what keeps staff there. Mm. If you've got like tumbleweed office and no one talks to one another and everyone just comes in and leaves like robots, then the staff turnover will be so high. Yeah, 100%, 100%, Neil. And this may link into the next thing we have to talk about, which is social value. And I have no idea what this is, Neil. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say on it. So what is social value and why is it so important? So the social value that uh, where I operate mm -hmm. is there is a there is a framework, a policy called the Social Value Act. Mm -hmm. So what that means is anything that is publicly purchased, so i.e. public money has been used to pay for it, people now need to add additional value. So I'll give you an example. So Wakefield council are looking for a new milk deliverer supplier for its residents so it opens it up and says to companies come apply for a contract from us to deliver milk to our residents and everybody puts their applications in but one of the companies has not only put in its bid for what it's going to do and its budget it's also said we're going to do educational workshops teaching young people the benefits of drinking milk and where milk comes from, from the farm into the glass. So they've added this social value because it's got an impact on society. So the Social Value Act gets used by companies. They're required now to say, okay, what can we do to give back beyond what we're doing? So if it's a building, for example, I work with architects a lot. If they're going to redevelop an estate and they've put in their bid, and they've said how much it's going to cost and the process and who's working on it and the design team. They also now need to say, here's the additional value we're going to bring to the community beyond just the physical building. So beyond like, the houses, right? So I work with architects and developers and local authorities to help them design really engaging, creative social value programs that benefit the local community. So hopefully that made sense yeah that definitely does make sense to me and that's the thing because i never knew that but now i know it i can i was thinking about different organizations which i know that do social value and really exhibit it but not enough do it in my opinion i don't know if you agree but i want to ask you especially i don't want to be sending any shots at anyone or any companies but especially the big boy companies why don't enough companies exhibit and some do a lot of companies do but they just don't talk about it but some of them don't so why do you think that not enough let's say big companies so ones with like net worth over like 50 million because there's loads 
why don't enough of them exhibit social value and really value it? So a lot of them are operating in the private sector, not the public sector. So they don't have to adhere to this social value because it's not being required of them from the government because they might just be, they might have a store on Oxford Street and they've got 50,000 stores across the globe and say it's retail, right? Then social value in that sense doesn't apply to them. But then what those bigger companies will do is they might have something called a CSR program, which is corporate social responsibility. So it's a similar aim, but that's where you'll see like Nike might sponsor some grassroots community football teams, or they might go and work with, um, a training camp somewhere in London and they bring down some of the football players that get sponsored by Nike and they do an engagement. That's really all around how they're giving back to the community, but obviously also they're advertising their brands as well through that, right? So I think the reason that some organizations probably don't is because it doesn't affect their profits, whether they do or they don't. But most big corporations will have programs because one, they want to be seen to be engaging with their customers and their clients. And it's really good for their branding and their marketing and their CSR. Um, but also it's, it's, it's good for business to be seen, to be doing something with your profits. And that's, what's really interesting about what's happened with Amazon, you know, and the divorce and, um, Jeff Bezos's wife, who has now spent, 400 odd billion i think it is in charitable giving in the last 18 months which you didn't see from amazon <laughs> before that so that's just a benefit of how a huge conglomerate actually can care and like the bill gates foundation that you mentioned earlier right that's set up from the profits of one of the biggest companies in the world yeah and i think a lot of a lot of people though because if I wasn't doing what I'm doing with the campaign I'm doing currently, I legit wouldn't be talking about like the stuff in the community I'm doing. But I'm a, I don't want to be, and I think a lot of youth activists and activists in general are like this, where they don't want to like put out that they're doing something because they are, generally do care about it and they don't feel the need to. But with my campaign, obviously it's it's social media based because we're in COVID, so I have to. But so many people, including myself, are like people where we're like, I don't want to share it because I'm not doing it for clout or fame or people to say, oh, it's amazing what you're doing. I'm doing this because I generally want to see a change. And do you think that is something that is going to be something that could affect communities and not allow enough people to see what people are doing, which will inspire others to do it? Or do you think it's fine and they can keep it to themselves and just do what they need to do for their community in silence? No, I think there's real value in, in amplifying anything that you're doing that's got a community benefit because there's no denying that any community program needs some form of investment, whether that's an investment of time or money. So the more you can share what you're doing and the more you might be able to get support for people to get behind your program, then definitely I am a big fan of advocating for sharing what you're doing but you also might inspire another young person or another community member because they think oh what you're doing is brilliant in your area i'm going to try that in my area and then it's a snowball effect so i'm a big advocate of sharing what you do if it's around raising awareness advocating for change but yeah on the flip side if there isn't really an impact 
I think that's where people misuse social media, right? They just go on Twitter and they're just shouting into the abyss <laughs> about what you're doing and no one really knows the purpose. But yeah, I'm a big fan of talking about what you do, share what you do. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And I want to ask as well, like you mentioned earlier about not getting funding and not getting a lot of funding for obviously the, the places in the Midlands, cities in the Midlands, towns in the Midlands. And everyone complains the government don't do this, the government don't do that. But obviously they don't say, what can I do to change this? Or what company can I connect with to help do this? So as we are both civilians of the United Kingdom, what can we or other people listening do to ensure that they can get funding for projects they, they want to run for their community? There is a, there's a lot that they can do. It's frustrating sometimes that they aren't funded enough. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to where you live, the location, the borough, the local authority, whatever. But I've, I've crowdfunded and, and fundraised for a lot of community programs. So I'm doing something called the People's Pavilion at the moment in East London. And we wanted to make the project happen. I wanted to pay the collaborators and I wanted it to be really ethical. I didn't want to use loads and loads of volunteers. And I particularly wanted to pay all the young people involved because that's how young people, you know, learn to value their ideas because there is an actual value to them in terms of money as well. So they can do things like approach corporates. So I went to some big um, architecture practices in this case and said, I know you've got a fund for community. Will you fund this project? I applied for things like Arts Council. So individuals, and a lot of individuals don't know this, and I spend a lot of my time working with people sharing this information because it isn't readily known, and it should be, that anyone as an individual can apply for funding for the Arts Council if it's something in the creative sector. And that's right from music to film to dance to drama, etc. Um, then there's local funds. So the Foundation for Future London is an East London based um, organisation that award grants and they awarded a grant to us. Um, and then we're going to do a crowdfunder as well. So there's all of these different things that you can do to, to help fund your community based projects or your activism type projects. But the reason I'm trying to advocate for social value, particularly, is it's about when it, wherever there's any redevelopment or regeneration work going on in an area, there is an expectation for whoever is doing that to offer something to the local community. So the more young people and the more local communities know about that, the more they could speak to their local authority or they could try and see who the developer is and start a conversation. Because you'll also have architects and developers running around trying to find who are the people doing good work in the community. Whereas if, you know, if you've got a project and there's some redevelopment, and let's face it, we're in London, so there's always redevelopment happening somewhere, there's bound to be little pots of funding people can tap into. So through Beyond the Box, I ensure that a percentage of all the income that we make as a social enterprise goes back into the community. So we employ local young people, you know, we employ local community members, we pay them, we upskill them, and that's directly benefiting the people that live in the community where we're working. Um, and we'll do workshops and sometimes there's funding that people can apply to. So I think there's a lot out there. It's just about letting people know what's out there. Mm, exactly. That's the thing. That's the key thing for our young people, because even I, and I mentioned this in the last episode of the podcast, even I was the young person when I was young that said there are not enough opportunities for young people. But 
as an adult, obviously, we'll say there are, there's an abundant amount of opportunities. I see opportunities all the time, but the reason that young people don't see it, and we cannot like cast young people, cannot cast young people or say anything or insult them for, for saying there aren't enough opportunities because they aren't exposed to the opportunities. So we can't, we can't complain. It's just the, the channels. It's the channels of getting it to them. That's the thing that's the, that's the challenge with it. And I think a lot of young people actually do want to do stuff. They may be scared to do it, but a lot of them will say, I'm going to do it regardless. A lot of them are hungry. There are so many that, I'm going to tell you this. When I went to America and I was sitting in, in Caesar's Palace after I did a speech and I was talking to some of the American young people because we were the only ones from London, me and like three other young people. And I was sitting there and I was just like, oh my gosh, when I go back to London, I'm never going to have an intelligent conversation again. That's legit what I said. And I was like, it's like a couple of years ago because I wasn't exposed to organizations which had so many talented young people. And now I see so many talented young people that I'm like, nah, man, Gen Z, my generation, Gen, our generation, I should say, Gen Z, we're going to be doing so many amazing things in the future because we've got so many hungry and talented young people, but the channels weren't there. Yeah, so obviously, yeah. obviously I, I wasn't, I didn't know. And think at that conference, I was with some of the best young people America has to offer. So of course I'm gonna I'm gonna be blown away by what they're saying because I'm not I don't I'm I'm used to being in ends. I'm used to being in ends playing PS4, especially around that time. And I was only getting started with doing the stuff I was doing and just building the foundation for what I have today and what I'm doing today. So I think you were there though. You know, don't underestimate you were there, yeah. you were in that room, and there was really, there would there would have been a reason why you were there. Mm -hmm. And as much as you were inspired by them. There is bound to have been people that are inspired by you. Because I've been following you for a few years now, Joe. I like, I'm impressed, mate. That's why I'm happy to take part and keep going. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and that's the thing, because sometimes you don't know. Firstly, you don't know who's watching. And this is what I have to say to everybody watching, even if you're an adult. Like, I'm not the type of guy that says I'm giving, I'm just going to give advice to give advice and give advice to young people only. Because there's adults out there that they may be a bit too egotistical to take it from a 19-year-old, but they know they need it deep down. You never know who's watching you. And that can be on the streets, that could be on social media, and that could even be in your household. You never know when your mum is like staring at you from around the corner and you can't see them from the <laughs> angle they're coming at. You never know. So <laughs> you never know. So you always need to like obviously have fun and stuff like that, but carry yourself with a certain level of excellence and think to yourself, when my life's over, let's begin with the end in mind. When my life's over, how do I want to be remembered? And what do I want to do while I'm on this planet? That's what you need to ask yourself. And then, okay, I will start acting like that today so that it becomes a habit and it's set in stone so that when that day comes and the impact I've wanted to make is already made, I can sit back and my family can be proud of it. If we were in a physical room, I'd be fist pumping you right now. <laughs> That's a mind drop moment. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's 100%. And oh, I want you work with young people a lot. And a lot of young people, a lot of people, adults particularly, say, they're, they're scared for my generation, they're this, they're that, they cost my generation. Do you feel that the criticism, and you're already shaking your head, <laughs> do you feel that the criticism of my, genera my generation is justified or do you think they're just doing it for the sake of doing it? I think it's unjustified. Um, and I don't know where it comes from. I don't want to make an assumption of where that thought process comes from but my experience tells me they haven't even sat down 
mm. with your generation and have a conversation. So it's just this sweeping comment of, oh yeah, this happens, this happens. Like, oh, okay, when's the last time you spoke to a young person? Well, you know, they're all the same. Well, no, they're not all the same. Uh, mm. that's, that's not a reality, right? So I'm filled with nothing genuinely of optimism, like the creativity, the innovation, like everything that is happening right now, the huge movements for racial equality across the globe, for ensuring that there's a more sustainable environment that we're all living in. Young people are leading the way in these conversations and movements. So I don't know who's saying that, but don't say it near me because it is <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah and just go, and this before i go back to the last question i just gotta say this and everyone's gonna think this is crazy but it was people that were younger than me that were posting stuff on social media about the stuff happening in like in africa the stuff happening in other countries like that that aren't being spoken about that made me understand what was going on i didn't know what was going on because it's not on the news and stuff like that i'd watch people still insta stories and i'd be like I respect this person. They're younger than me and they're promoting all this stuff. And I was like, now I know about it. So I got to promote it now. And I have no problem. I always promote it. But they were doing it way before me and I didn't even know what was going on. And these guys are younger than me and they're doing it. So I think, as you said, a lot of people, they don't sit down and actually have conversations with young people. And yes, a lot of the time, some, some people, not just young people, they do talk a lot and they don't back it up. But a lot of our young people and adults do back it up. So just give them the opportunity and have optimism. That's, a, that's the thing. A lot of people don't have optimism. They just want to shut people down and shut young people down without having a conversation with them. But really and truly, by the time they may be the person that's shutting them down's age, they could have so much more impact than them. And that's not a diss. That's just the truth. So, yeah. yeah. I'm glad I do. You see, I'm shaking my head to all of it in agreement. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And my final question for you, just going back to social value quickly, if social value is used effectively, where do you see our communities being, as in good, bad, in the next 20 years? Like, what's it going to look like? If it's used effectively and it's used in a way that we try to use it, and there are many others out there as well trying to use it in this way, communities spaces public places will be designed with with <laughs> the communities that they seek to serve mm. so it doesn't matter if it's housing a school a hospital a community center if social value is embedded properly in society then everyone in that community should benefit from the additional value that's being brought to their community mm. and the power of that to me is it's, it's what it's all about it's why you see I'll give you this one example, youth centres. We all know under the current government over the last decade, 50% of youth centres have closed. Mm. The funding that's been cut is huge. But I also think there's a part that the existing structure of some youth clubs is built on an adult's perception of what young people need. Whereas actually, if you start designing with young people, okay, what do you need? Look at the advancement in, in technology. You now need to offer young people something that's as appealing as at-home consoles like Netflix, 
etc etc so sticking a foosball table in a room and saying we're a youth club isn't going to cut it like engage with young people and get them to design their own spaces and and it will it could be a facilitated space for like the work that you're doing you know and activism and there are some great youth organizations working with young people but i'm just hoping that social value when done right will just give communities the power that they need to make the change that they want to make in their community that's the bottom line 100 yeah. it's all about that's the thing i always say it's all about the community it's all about helping the community that's why i always tell people and you're right like sometimes you just gotta get that ps5 like it's gonna hurt your, your organization's pocket but you sometimes you just gotta get the ps5 to compete <laughs> with what's at home already because i'm personally i i'm not a big gamer anymore when i was younger i'd be on it all the time but now i've grown up obviously i've got bored of it i'm not to say i'm not getting that ps5 i'm gonna get that ps5 but I'm a bit bored of games and stuff like that, but I will play it once in a while. And for me, it's a thing of, I would love, I'd rather, depending on my mood, because sometimes you're, I'm in that selfish mood and I know a lot of people are like this. I'm in that selfish mood, but I just want to play my games by myself. But sometimes I would love to just go to a youth club and play a FIFA tournament with some young people and meet new people. Because this is another thing, networking, you network every day without even knowing it. Even in COVID, people are networking. You network every day. So sometimes when you're scared to talk to that person you want to talk to, even if it's in school, that's networking. So it's okay that you're afraid to do it. But then again, just like Neil, you've got to say, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And you may, and this is the thing, a lot of, and this is even a thing with me. I was so shell-shocked when I started working with organizations that said that, no, Jonas, we want to hear young people's opinions. We want to hear what you guys have to say. I was like, what? Excuse me? You want to hear me? You want to hear my, my perspective? What? I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I'm honoured like right now. I was so shocked because usually it's just sit down, be quiet, do your work and go home. That's what it usually is. And if you have something to say about it, they'll deal with you the way they deal with you. So that's definitely something that's really important. Sitting down, doing what you guys do, sit down with young people, ask. How do you want to facilitate this? How would it be best for you? Because also, if you give something to young people that you think will be good for them, and this is the thing, it's autobiographical, think, autobiographical thinking. It's, you're thinking about yourself. So you'll say, okay, I think they'll, they'll like it if I, you know, if I bring a little pool table. But really and truly, I like pool. I'm, I'm rubbish at it, but I like it. But... A lot of young people don't really get up out of their house to play pool anymore. Table tennis, maybe. that that Table tennis, maybe. But pool, not anymore. So if you ask young people something and they say PS5, they're going to come. But if you just give them a pool table, not to say that they won't like a pool table, because some of them will, they're less likely to come because you didn't ask them. And you never know. You're risking yourself. So you could just be sitting at the youth club all day doing a word search and nobody comes through the door because <laughs> you didn't want to talk to the young people. So yeah. that's another thing that's really, really true. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got to ask. You've got to ask people what it is they want and give them the space to tell you and then see it through. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the solutions, it's like anything, isn't it? You'll know as a 19-year-old, living where you lived, on your, your path to what you were doing, you know what your needs are more than I would mm -hmm. or anyone else would. It's you. So it's kind of not rocket science to turn around and be like, so what is it you need, Jonas? Like, how can people help? 
and you'll be like, oh, well, I'm looking for a mentor or I'm looking for some investment or I want to do X. And like, okay, cool, let's, let's try and create that to happen. Mm-hmm. Rather than what a lot of institutions do and big cultural organisations say, we've designed this programme. Come, everyone, and engage with that programme. You know, no one was a part of designing that, so no one's coming to your programme. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Neil, that leads me on to the final segment. And this is something I always look forward to. What are your top three rules for success? Top three. Top three. I don't want to be too like philosophical with it, Mm. but I genuinely mean this. And I've had a lot of random jobs in my time as well. Success is really a mindset. And if you can wake up in the morning and look forward to the day ahead, then that's success. And it doesn't matter what you're doing or where you are or where you want to be. If you can wake up, you know, I'm really looking forward to this day ahead. And it could just be a day of stepping that tiny bit closer to where you want to go. But that to me is what success looks like. And the three things that I always talk about is being authentic. You have to, you have to be yourself have to be your authentic self you have to do what brings you joy so what is it you're passionate about and you have to do what i call purpose so the work that you're doing has to have a greater purpose than one yourself and two like your bank balance <laughs> and all of those three it's like a triangle for me those three things for me it's like that's success I love that. I, love, I always love people's top three rules. I always love that's true. You know, success actually is a mindset, hundred percent. And I always say this, and people have probably heard this before, so they're just going to be like, "Jonas, you're corny," and it's fine. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take that. Jonas is corny. I'll take it all day. Success. When you want to be successful, you have to depend on the second letter, and that's you. You got to depend on yourself. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> I like that though. That's cool, man. It, 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 like to be real, it is corny. I'll take it. It's corny. Yeah, it's it makes sense. So I'm gonna keep saying it all day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Neil, thank you so much for coming on the 13th episode of the Let's Talk Facts podcast. Have you got anything you want to add before we end? Just to say thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Keep keep doing what you're doing, Jonas. Like I said. Um, big things for you man i've known you for a few years i've seen you growing and i think what you're doing is, is top so thanks for the invite and i'm glad to be a part of it thanks for coming on would you like to tell because a lot of young people are going to be going to be like how do i talk to neil how do, how do i connect with neil so what are your social medias what's your like if they want to connect with you on linkedin connect with beyond the box on linkedin or instagram what are the social yeah. media to follow so um if you're on linkedin then it's neil onions there's not many of us with that surname so you'll be able to find <laughs> me <laughs> Um, and then socials if you follow beyond the box it's beyond the box consultants so um, that's on instagram and facebook and it's um it's bts underscore consultants on twitter <laughs> i'm trying to put the word the letters in order there so yeah follow us cool amazing guys i hope you enjoyed this episode guys we're going to be back again next week and guys take care wash your hands Keep your distance and we'll be out of this thing soon. Trust me. Take care. Cheers.